says 1 Corinthians 14, 33, that God is not the author of... Thank you. God is not the author of... Thank you. God's not the author of confusion. And the reason our society is so confused this morning is that they have rejected and forsaken the God of the Bible. And those are the topics that we've been studying, the ways in which that is evidenced in our culture and in our society. And this morning, just to uh, review and jump back in where we left off, we are not ashamed of what we believe. At least I hope that you're not. Hope that you're not ashamed of what you believe. We're not ashamed of believing what the human race has believed for thousands of years. And we're not ashamed of the sanity that we derive from the things that we believe. And we refuse to be bullied in submission by the woke mob and by the grace of God. We'll never back down or compromise the foundational truths that undergird the very fabric of society. Those are the truths that we're studying based on this verse from 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not the author of of confusion. Now, it was a month ago that we began our final lesson in this series, and that lesson was on the topic of the Bible and racism. The Bible and racism, and we'll finish that up, Lord willing, this morning. First and foremost, we want to approach that topic biblically. The Word of God overrides any political or cultural or historical considerations. Uh, the Bible, what, what does the Bible say? That's what we want to know. That's what we want to live by. And it's also a topic we want to approach with maturity. We're not going to put our heads in the sand, pretend that racism does not or has never existed. But neither can we pretend that everything and everyone is racist or that everything is racially motivated. Now, and, and here's a term that you need to be familiar with. You've probably heard, and uh, we need to just uh, kind of review this morning. And it's it's critical race theory. How many of you have heard of critical race theory? C-R-T. You need to be aware of what that is because that's what we're talking about. Critical race theory is a modern approach to social change. By the way, this is a snippet of an article from a website called Got Questions, which is a really good uh, website to look up. Uh, some some Bible questions and so forth, gotquestions.org. Critical race theory is a modern approach to social change developed from the broader critical theory which developed out of Marxism. This is about social change. This is about altering society. It's based on the ideas of Karl Marx. He was not a Christian. He did not believe the Bible. His theories, his philosophy... Uh, combined with Charles Darwin, account for the deaths of millions upon millions of people over the course of the last two centuries. Critical race theory, or CRT, approaches issues such as justice, racism, and inequality with a specific intent of reforming or reshaping society. In practice, this applied almost exclusively to the United States. Critical race theory is grounded in several key assumptions. Among these are the following. American government, law, culture, and society are inherently and inescapably racist. Everyone, even without racist views, perpetuates racism by supporting those structures. Basically, living in the United States of America makes you, inescapably makes you, 
a racist. This is how the theory goes. The personal perception of the oppressed, their narrative, it's a buzzword, their narrative outweighs the actions or intents of others. doesn't matter what you do. It matters how I feel. It's critical race theory. Oppressed groups will never overcome disadvantages until the racist structures are replaced. The reason that I'm not happy, this is critical race theory, the reason that I'm not happy is because the systems as they are, they're at fault. And this wrong cannot be righted until we... And, and until we tear down all of those systems of justice and of law and of just the way things work, it's all got to change because it is racist. Oppressor, race, or class groups never change out of altruism. They can only change for self-benefit. Application of laws and fundamental rights should be different based on the race or class group of the individuals involved. Now, uh, this is... This is being pushed in colleges and universities. This is being pushed in companies. This is being pushed in the school system. This is being pushed all throughout our society. There's some fight. There, there, there's some pushback, and that's a good thing. And again, we're not trying to be here to talk politics this morning, but you just need to be aware of this in relation to what we're going to study from the Bible. In short, critical race theory presupposes everything about American society is thoroughly racist. Minority groups never be equal until American society is entirely reformed. This position is extremely controversial, even in secular circles. Critical race theory is often posed as a solution to white supremacy or white nationalism, yet in practice, essentially does nothing other than inverting the oppressed and oppressor groups. From a political standpoint, critical race theory closely aligns with concepts such as communism, Marxism, progressivism, intersectionality, and the modern version of social justice. Strictly speaking, the Bible neither commands nor forbids Christians regarding specific political parties, philosophies. However, believers are obligated to reject any aspect of philosophy that, conf that conflicts with biblical ideals. And critical race theory is deeply rooted in worldviews that are entirely incompatible with the Bible. Uh, again, we, we want to see what does the Bible say about this. We want, to, we want to do that with some maturity. We want to do that with some humility, with some willingness to admit that we might be wrong in some of our thoughts, some of our attitudes, some of our words, some of our actions, and be willing to change those things that God points out in our lives as inappropriate and line them up with the Scripture. So seven points, and we only covered three of them last time. Number one, Racism is a sin for many reasons, including these. There's only one race. All men are created in the image of God. God is no respecter of persons. We're commanded to love our neighbors. God's will is for all to be saved. Racism is antithetical to missions. The Jewish people were condemned for their prejudice and those references and many others. Number two, children are not to be punished for their parents' Sins. There are some things in uh, America's history that I'm not proud of, we shouldn't be proud of, but we weren't there. <laughs> and none of us is responsible for that and bears any weight of judgment for uh, those things. Number three, evolution and abortion have racist origins. You want to talk about racism? Two names top the list. Charles Darwin, Margaret Sanger. Evolutionary theory and Planned Parenthood. We need to understand that. But then this morning, to continue on, 
Uh, Come to Acts chapter 17. That's kind of our foundational passage for these points that we've made. Acts chapter 17. Point number four is this. God did separate the peoples of the earth. God did separate the peoples of the earth. What do we mean by that? Uh, Acts chapter 17, picking up Paul's sermon on Mars Hill in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Okay, so again, one human race. We all bleed Adam's blood, right? We all come from Adam and Eve. A little bit further down the family tree, we all come from Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. So one blood, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. But finish the verse, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Okay? So God said, yes, all nations, one blood, but God established boundaries in which those separate nations were to dwell and to live on the earth. Now, why did God establish boundaries for the nations if they're all of one blood? Well, it's not because any one group is any better than the other. This is obvious. This is established throughout the scripture. But God in his wisdom stated in verse 27 that they should seek the Lord. See, there's no period at the end of verse 26. The thought continues. Why did God establish boundaries for the nations? Because he wanted them to seek him. And the more mankind gets together, the more they convince themselves they don't need God. This this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and the Tower of Babel. What, What was the problem? One language, one speech, all united. We're going to make a tower. We're going to make ourselves a name. We, we don't need God. We're going to get to heaven on our own. What did God have to do? He had to come down. He had to see what was taking place. And he there confounded the languages of men. G- Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Why did he do that? He confounded the languages to separate the peoples of the earth so that they would seek him what the Bible says. Let's actually read that passage in Genesis 11. We'll do it quickly. Genesis 11. We understand from the Bible and from history and from anthropology that Noah's three sons became the fathers of the three different people groups that populate the earth. Japheth, the Caucasian nations. Shem, the Semitic, the Oriental peoples. Uh, Ham, the African, the aboriginals. Ham basically went south. Shem basically went east. And Japheth basically went west. That, 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 that all started after what we read in Genesis 
11. The whole earth was of one language, one speech. Verse 1, it came to pass. They journeyed from the east. They found a plain land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. Had brick for stone, slime for mortar. They said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach to heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They were worried about that. Why? Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which children men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people's one, they have all one language. This they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down there. Confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad upon, uh, from thence upon the face of all the earth. They left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound their language, <clears throat> confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So those that spoke the same language uh, would dwell together and uh, find a place. And, 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 and the peoples were divided by language groups at Babel, God did that. He is responsible. Listen, God's. this explains why there are about 7,000 languages in the world today. You, you ought to read sometime about the different theories for why there are so many different languages. They're, they're ludicrous, but the Bible explains it uh, very clearly and very simply. God did it, okay? And God is the one who's responsible for national and cultural and ethnic divisions and it again it's for this very clearly stated purpose because without those men have even less of a tendency to seek God I'll show it to you on a smaller scale um, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 8 that reference is not in your notes but look at it really quick really quickly Isaiah 5 verse number 8 the Bible says this Isaiah 5 and verse 8. Woe unto them that join house to house. Isaiah 5, verse 8. It's in the Old Testament. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. I'm not saying that the Bible says that we all need to move out of our neighborhoods and go find a farm somewhere and live off the land. I'm not saying that we have to do that. But I am saying that the Bible says that that kind of lifestyle will give you a better chance at remembering God. And when our, when our society was more of an agrarian society, it was certainly a more God-fearing society society. Now we need to get into the cities and reach people with the gospel so we can't just all go be homesteaders, right? But th but there is something to this biblically and scripturally and this this is true on a micro level and it's true on a macro level. Why did God make the nations and give them boundaries and divide them from one another? Why is it that people are better off on the farm than they are in the high-rise apartment in the middle of the metropolis? It's just the way that human nature works. The more we get together, uh, we don't we don't elevate one another. The opposite takes place. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. We'll read this as well. Deuteronomy 32. We'll have to skip many of these references and the points that follow. 
uh, but I do want to establish this. Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 8. Deuteronomy 32. And verse 8, when the Most High divided the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob's lot of his inheritance. So about four passages in the Bible that make it clear God separated the peoples of the earth. Point number five, God did choose one special group of of people, and it wasn't white people, and it wasn't black people, it was Jews. If there is one special group of people, there is. It's not the Native Americans, though they're a little bit closer than we are. They're Shemites. It's, it's the most hated people on all the face of the earth, the Jewish people, the, the, the ones that God chose, the devil hates, and people who follow him hate them Two, it's the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God called Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12. And the Bible says in Romans 3, What advantage then hath the Jew much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. In Romans 9, to them pertain the adoption, the covenants, and the promises, and the giving of law, and the fathers, and, and, and all of these things. Special blessings that God gave that one nation. We understand the purpose for that is to set them apart and use them to bring his son into the world to be the savior of all men. Okay, but he chose one special group of people. But let, let's clarify this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. Romans chapter 3. Are the Jewish people special? Yes. Just ask Elijah. He knows. In all sorts of ways. Romans chapter 3. And verse number 9, what then, are we better than they? No, in no wise. So even though God said, this is my chosen people, that doesn't make them better, right? Now, God has a specific plan, a specific purpose. It's kind of like the home. God established roles in the home and in society and in the church and men are to take leadership. Does that mean men are better? No. I mean, reality is maybe exactly the opposite. I don't know. Hopefully not. You be the judge. All right? But, but, but God choosing the man, listen, doesn't make him superior and the woman inferior. The, the, the head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. The, the comparison is the son and the father. Neither is superior or inferior to the other. They're equal, but they have a different place, a different role. The man and the woman, neither is superior or inferior. They just have a different place, different role. The races, right? The nations, neither superior or inferior. God gave the Jews a special job, a special role, but it doesn't necessarily make them special in any other way. Point number six, saved people. This is great. Saved people are united in Jesus Christ. Saved people are united in Jesus Christ. So, so God separated the peoples of the earth because the more they get together, the less they remember God. But once you're born again, once you're placed in the body of Christ, once you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 
All of that is negated completely in the body of Christ. There is one place where it works in a way that glorifies God for people of all different backgrounds and all different nationalities and all different tribes and tongues and peoples and kindreds and nations to get together and enjoy a mutually beneficial God-honoring common bond, and that is in the church of Jesus Christ. Saved people of every different type of background and ethnicity and nationality and language, saved people are united in Jesus Christ. What the world wants and tries so desperately to force, we have it, we enjoy it this morning. If we live by the Bible in New Testament Christianity. Look at these verses, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And verse number 9. Colossians chapter 3. Jump down to verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all, but on therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, so on and so forth. Now, Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond free. It's not that those things no longer exist when somebody gets saved. It's just that those things no longer matter. Because what matters more is that we're in Jesus Christ and that takes precedence over absolutely everything else. When we gather together as the church of God, a a local assembly of called out saints, your skin color doesn't matter. Your socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Your language and your background, none of those things matter. What matters is we're saved and we're brothers and we're sisters. We've got the same father. We've got the same destination. We've got the same reason for living. We are united in Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter number 3. The second birth supersedes the first birth in every way. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone who's placed their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ is a child of God. For as many of you, verse 27, has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now, come on. This verse does not say that male and female don't exist. That's another issue that we've addressed already in this course of study. That's not what this verse is saying. Because the Bible establishes clearly defined roles for the two genders in the home, the church, the society. It's, it's just that in Jesus Christ, male and female are both one. Neither one's better than the other, more spiritual than the other on the basis of the first birth, on, on anything associated to the first birth, including that 
ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We don't have time to read the entirety of Ephesians chapter 2, but that passage is all about how Jews and Gentiles had this wall of separation between them, the law of God that separated the Jews from every other nation. But in Jesus Christ, that wall is broken down, and now we're all part of the same building and part of the same body and part of the same uh, church, and we have relationship that we did not have uh, prior to salvation. In Acts chapter 13, we read the history of the early church and its headquarters in the city of Antioch and the first missionaries being sent out. And we'll not read the verses, but what we learn from Acts chapter 13 is that this was a very multicultural church, not only in its membership, but in its leadership. We've got Jews, we've got Gentiles, we've got a Canaanite that they called Niger in leadership in the church and Antioch. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's a beautiful thing. And God forbid that our church would ever be a white church or a black church or any kind of church other than a Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving, soul-reaching kind of church. That might not be good Southern, but it's good Bible. Okay? Saved people of every different kind of background are united in Jesus Christ, and to suggest otherwise is to display your prejudiced ignorance. Number seven, along those lines, in the Bible, okay, in the Bible, interracial marriage is not sinful. Interracial marriage is not sinful. There are very clear prohibitions against interracial marriage in the Bible. And each of those were given to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament under the law. The Joshua reference, the Kings reference, the Ezra reference, the Nehemiah reference, every one of those references where God said, don't marry the Canaanites, only marry people of your tribe. Those were all to Jewish people in the Old Testament under the law. And there were a couple of very clearly stated reasons for that. Uh, one was that God knew if they married these other people, they would follow after their gods. And that's exactly what happened. Every time they would mingle with the Canaanite nations, they would begin serving their idols. God knew that would happen. Solomon and all of his strange wives, the reason God had forbidden that is because exactly is because of exactly what happened when Solomon got all those women, they brought their gods with them, and Solomon ended up following their gods, and not only did he build the temple, but he built houses of worship for all of these idols because he disregarded God's commandments regarding who he was supposed to marry and who he wasn't. The other reason was to maintain a pure Jewish bloodline through which the Messiah would come into the world. Now, listen, guys, we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. When we read the Bible, we've got to pay attention to who's speaking, who's being spoken to, what's being said, and all of these things are spoken by God to the Jews for some very specific purposes. There is nowhere in the Bible that any saved person is ever told anything about being careful about the skin color of the person they choose to marry. Can't find it. 
Here's what we do find. Let's turn to these passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. God did tell us, us being saved New Testament Christians, God did tell us who we can marry and who we can't marry. And and here's what he told us. He said one thing. 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. Right? Girls, you pick a guy one day. Guys, you pick a girl one day. The Bible says only in the Lord. Only if they're saved. Only if they serve the same God that you serve. That's what it says. 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. See, here's what people have done. They've taken those Old Testament passages where Hebrews are not supposed to marry Canaanites. And they spiritualized half of it. They turned the Israelites into saved people, but they forgot to spiritualize the other half of the equation. They kept the other half physical and basically said, if you're a saved white person, you can't marry somebody with darker skin. That's basically what they say. But that is so dishonest and inconsistent. If we're going to read those passages and make some application, we've got to spiritualize both sides of the equation. And and that is supported biblically, scripturally in the New Testament. If the Israelites equate to saved people, then the Canaanites equate to lost people. And God did tell you, you better be real careful about entering in to that kind of a union. Why? Because they will take you away from the God that you say you love and the God you say you serve, but we've got doubts about it when you're ignoring what he said to do and the way he said to live. Make your choices and decisions. Now, there are a number of factors on a practical level that you're going to need to consider when it comes time to bind your life to an individual and the more that you can start off with in common the better because the longer you're married the more you'll learn that you actually don't have in common you're two unique individuals right and we all bring our background and our raising and our approach to life into our home and just assume that's the way that everybody lives and everybody thinks and everybody approaches life and that's that's not the way it works you'll get married you'll learn that you've got to kind of merge those two approaches into your own unique home and so there are a lot of things you need to consider but you cannot take the bible and say that for saved people it is in any way sinful. There was a man here at the church one time who tried to call our pastor an adulterer because his wife has dark skin. You know where this guy learned that stuff? When he was serving a prison sentence. That's how much better his whiteness made him. You know what he didn't have? A job and a house and a car and a wife and a life. (laughs) 
basically. Because that's how much better his whiteness made him. My poor wife, she was at Walmart one day, and she ran into this individual. She happened to be pregnant. Which child was it? Do you remember? With Madeline. So we had Riley, we had Caroline, and Lauren is very visibly pregnant with Madeline. And she runs into this individual, and loudly he begins telling her how excited he is because we need to have more white babies. Like that would solve all of the world's problems. And she was probably wearing a Jesus safe shirt and it was a real awkward uh, situation. That, that is so unbiblical. It's, it's almost funny, but it's really not. It's just so sad. Racism's a sin. Children are not to be punished for their parents' sins. Evolution and abortion have the true racist origins. God did separate the peoples of the earth so they would seek him. God did choose one special group of people. But saved people are united in Jesus Christ. And nowhere does the Bible tell us that interracial marriage is sinful. So you can study that in more detail with all of those verses if you want to read about it a little bit more. Brother James has a chapter on this topic. I believe it's in the Lost Cause series, the light blue uh, book, much of the same material. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it makes things so clear for us. Help us to think right, act right, live right, to have the right uh, view of ourselves and the right view of others and the right view of you. Father, we love you. Thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.